Good day, everyone. Welcome to Bush Talk Podcast, where I'm coming to you from Le Mans in France. 24 hours, we're seven hours in, and there's been chaos already with the rain that's come through. And whilst I've travelled three quarters of the way around the world to get here, I still can't even manage to get on the same time zone as Ajmal, who's only about 600 kilometres away, I guess. Ajmal, how are you today? I'm good, I'm good. This is so exciting, and I'm so happy that you're there and all of the chaos is happening. Because if the weather had been good, you could have just sat there with cars going round, the Ferraris round, and round, round and round. Oh, yeah. look, I suspect Toyota are going to cakewalk this. You reckon? Yep. The Look, when I think reliable motor car and those two cars are on the table, that's a pretty easy decision for me to decide which one's going to finish in front. That is true. I mean, so, I mean, just for everyone listening, I, I'm not a big, you know, Le Mans fan or endurance racing fan. Uh, I, I haven't watched it since I was a kid. So in the UK, you would have watched it on a Saturday on the grandstand. But now it's actually quite difficult to, you've got to go and look on Discovery Plus or you've got to look on Prime and then subscribe to Discovery Plus to watch it. So you don't really hear about it. It's not on the BBC website. You go on the Autosport website, you've got to agree to all the cookies so you can get the live text. And and, and so, you know, I've looked at, and I can see, I've, I've, obviously I've looked at who's qualified. You know, there's what, three Porsches in the top 10 qualified? And Ferraris were four, one and two? Four. There's three factory cars and one private car. There's the Yota Hertz car, oh, which yes. was actually okay. leading. It crashed when it was in the lead. Yes. Earlier. So, so I watched, I did that. I looked on YouTube and I watched the start and I thought, how devastating is that to crash on the first lap of Le Mans 24, like 24 hour race. And, <laughs> and that was a pretty big one. I mean, who was that? That was one of the U S ones, wasn't it? Yes, on the first yes. lap. Yeah. And, and then tried to limp it back to the pits. And yes. then obviously the, the heavens opened and everybody's like, I'm going to stay out on slicks, you know, just in case the safety car comes out so I can get a free pit stop. And it's chaos, isn't it? It is. It is like, um, the, in the first, look, we're seven hours in, the first probably four or five hours, uh, it, it didn't rain near the start, finish straight. Now, just to give everyone some reference, right now I'm recording this in the media centre, which is directly on top of, I'm sitting literally straight above the Porsche garages. So uh, it's, right on, it's right on pitch straight, and we've got windows that are looking on a pitch straight, but the rain was actually occurring. It looked like down towards the bottom of Mulsanne and Arnage. So... Um, yeah. The problem is when it's been raining and they're going 350 kilometres per hour down Mulsanne and they come to the uh, chicanes each time, they're just not stopping as they expected to when the road's wet there, but it's still dry here. So all the team principals and all the, you know, the uh, people calling the shots are sitting here looking at dry sunshine and uh, yeah, it's pissing down down there. So <laughs> he's watching the cars and the cars just slide and that's, like they're so light and I've, look, I've been to walk around the um, pits a couple of times as well. I've got access to the working paddock, which is where everything's happening. And the hardest workers are the people, are the composite people. They are gluing stuff back together, left, right and centre. Oh, you should see all these nose cones everywhere, rear diffusers, wings that have been broken off. So, yeah, they're, they're working hard, putting all that stuff back together. And you're going to see it. it is, they're like artists. It's the only way oh to describe God. it. I mean, the, the, one of the things that I was surprised by is, um, I know it's a social <laughs> podcast, but the, the Peugeot 
It does. It looks like the wing's broken off, but it that's just the design, doesn't it? That's, isn't it? It's, got, it's got like half a wing, hasn't it? Yeah. And I it just when like... I saw it, and I thought, oh, there's a car with a wing broken off straight away. And then you go, and then the commentator says, oh, you might think the wing's broken off the, the first show, but it isn't. That's just the way it's designed. Well, it was. It has been leading the race a couple of times. During pit stops? No. Um, it's currently running second. I just had a quick look. Wow. Yeah, so um, it's competitive. There's no doubt about that. The, the, you know, the car... You know, in uh, the qualifying and in the practice sessions, all the hyper cars were within two seconds of each other per lap. So that means nothing over a 24-hour race, let's face it. Wow. And who's... Um, because I know that one of the Porsches has come unstuck and he's a lap down. Was that now, the all, independent... All the Porsches are at least one lap down now. Oh, wow. Is that because of uh, crashes or is that mechanical uh, failure? No, there was... Uh... The one that was leading, or the leading Porsche car, not leading a race at the time, I think it was running second at the time, uh, got a rear wheel puncture. And the, oh, sorry, no, it was it was coming about fourth. It was the second Porsche on the road. It's coming out fourth. And the leading Porsche in the wet, missed corner uh, with the, on the, you know, on the chicanes and comes through and hits an advertiser sign, which is sitting in the middle of the bit you go around. Flips over the top of the car and lands on the on the track, and then the other Porsche drives over and gets a flat tire from it. And as as luck would have it, that's about as far away from the pits as you can get. You know, it's a good six kilometres away over there, seven kilometres away. Yeah. So he's driving at fifty kilometres an hour and dropped a lap as a result of that. And um, there has been a lot of uh, near misses. There's no doubt about that with the Porsche. So. That, you know, when you leave the track and come back on, you tend to lose places. So, yeah, but we're lapped down at the moment. This was a, probably the saddest thing was the um, the Hertz Yota car was leading the race, the Porsche 963 and the hypercars, and was, um, yeah, overcooked the corner, smacked onto the wall, broke everything off. But they got it back out on, they got it back out on the uh, road a lot quicker than uh, my Yaris is prepared. I'll give you the tip. Yes. <laughs> But the thing is, you don't you don't know, do you? Because it's always worth getting out because you don't know what's going to happen to the other cars. Look at the way the rain's coming down. Yes, and, you're exactly right. And, and it's just because you know, I, I when you read about it, you always forget it's an endurance race and it's about distance. And you know, when you think about um, like Ferraris and all of the really high end hypercar supercar manufacturers, they'll make cars that just go on and on and on. And you're right. You know, when you think reliability, you think Japanese cars every time. <laughs> but, you know, that didn't work that well from, uh, you know, what was it 2018? Porsche's last win here, 2019. Yeah. And they uh, died on the last lap. Oh, I know. I know. I know. So, I mean, it's so cool that you're there and it's such a long way to go for what. So, what, when did you get on? When did you go to the airport? Okay, so I got on the aircraft at 10 p.m. on Thursday, first time. Okay, so 10, 10 p.m. Thursday. So right now, it's 10.20 UK time on Saturday night. Correct, yeah. I got here yesterday. I was expecting to drive, or catch, sorry, catch TGVs from uh, Paris to Le Mans. And, um, but in true French style, 
about three or four A380 aircraft arrived at the same time at Charles de Gaulle. You know, each one of those carries 500 people. And yep. there's, there's three people checking passports. <laughs> and wow. if I said there were three or 4,000 people in line, tourists, because that's the only line that was banked up, it took, it took three hours to get through passport control over. Oh, my God. They actually were stopping letting people. They were leaving aircraft um, on the on the uh, tarmac, not taking them to the gate because it physically wasn't enough space in the halls where the gates come out to because everyone was banked up that far back to try and get through passport control. Wow, that's nuts. And here that's I was, nuts. fingers crossed. I haven't been to France in a long time, right? Like eight years, yeah. I'd say, maybe ten years, and I. I've always thought, such a shame, such a beautiful place doesn't appreciate the hospitality and tourism that it gives. And I thought after the pandemic, everyone will be thinking, oh, God, how bad was it? We had no tourism. No. That's not, that's, <laughs> attitudinally, that has not changed one iota. I can assure you of that coming to France. I haven't, I haven't been to France for a long time. I, I went to uh, Brittany. I've been to Brittany a few years ago yeah, okay. on holiday, but before that, it must be oh, it must be twenty years ago now. But still here, the um, France that is, and uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, I arrived Friday, like lunchtime. It didn't clear till three. Then by the time I trained into Paris, I missed the train. The TGV I had booked to come, and I thought, Margaret, I'll book. I'll go and um, catch the train to. The station where the TGV is and stayed in a hotel in that little town called Bussy, which is a suburb of Paris, really. And um, yeah, that was quite nice and relaxing and caught up on sleep, all that sort of thing, because you know, it was a pretty challenging flight. We had over off the coast of India at the moment, there's a cyclone, so which it, I flew Perth, Dubai, Dubai, Paris, and going from Perth to Dubai, we had to skirt around the cyclone, but it was still. Pretty adventurous in the plane, there's no doubt about that. And the, uh, yeah, so I caught up in a bit of sleep in this morning, first thing, came out here. It's actually, the timing worked quite well. And I'll stay here until the race finishes tomorrow at 4 p.m. So what's the accommodation like? Yeah, I'm, I don't need it. I'm, I don't need to sleep anymore. <laughs> I'm catching the train, I'll catch the train back tomorrow after the race finishes, back to Paris and then fly out on Monday morning, first thing. So we should explain. I mean, you're you're there in as a journalist, right? Yes, yes. As a according to my uh, press thing, radio, radio commentator. Oh nice. <laughs> and and also you and you know, I mean the so a lot of the listeners uh, contributed towards your journey. Yes, yes, and um, yeah, I had about, um, we'd be enough, about 12 listeners and one extremely generous one. Amazing. I mean, that that is, that is that just for a second, it makes me believe there's more than three listeners, which makes <laughs> me really happy. And I'm so yeah. glad that you're there because, you know, my wife said to me, oh, uh, you should go, you should go to Paris and go and see Mark. And I went, well, I'd probably just see him in passing because, he should spend as much time as he can at Le Mans. He needs what, to be watching what, all the cars. What we should have done is I should have said, Ajmal, put in your application and you just catch a TGV from London to 
Paris. to Paris or to Le Mans, and we could have done this together. Well, I didn't want to have to say it, but it is your fault. So you should have said that way back. <laughs> I'm super excited that you're there, though. It's amazing. Yeah. And, I, and I just think, I even watching a little bits of it, and, I, and and one of the things is when, when I hear people talking about it, you know, when you mention it to people, oh, Mark's at uh, Le Mans, and people are... Do you know the first thing they all say to me is, "How do I watch it?" Really, that's well, nuts. Like, I, I've, I've, look, I've got a feed on my laptop on uh, Le Mans TV. There's a, there's a, there is a website called Le Mans TV, and yes, I think it's um, cost. I think it was nine euros to watch this one race, or it was like. 15 euros to watch all the World Endurance Championship races on Le Mans TV. I think it's become it, endurance racing is is almost niche at the moment, and they need to be just streaming it free everywhere just to get I, people into it. I, I do think that um, endurance racing is is a bit of a slightly like all motorsport, a bit of a victim of the Drive to Survive um, yeah. Netflix phenomena. You know, and uh, how much uh, that has taken motorsport interest to F1, which, sure. But, you know, endurance racing, like, I would have thought the same thing, except, I don't know, there's like 250,000 people here. Yeah. It's more of a destination, I think, than it, watching it is, I've, I on television. I can't think of a place I've ever been and I've seen this many people in one place. It is overwhelming. When you first come into the place, and in true wow. French style, in true French style, the public transport is a good three-kilometer walk from one oh, side wow. of the circuit to the other. You know what I mean? It's just a debacle. For, and every tram, because you've got to catch a tram from the train station in town out here, right? right. It's just mind-blowing that you know they run one every four minutes or something, instead of one every ten seconds, like they should, while they're trying to yeah. load all the people into the joint, like. I, I'm, I cannot take the risk tomorrow afternoon after the race finishes that I will get back to get my train back to Paris if I, by catching that tram. I'm actually going to walk the six kilometres because I know that'll only take me about an hour, right? So I, I know I'm yeah. safe if I do that. Whereas it's guaranteed. If tram, yeah, if I get the tram, it could be four hours. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. That's amazing. But yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a, a, because. Porsche have come to the fore again, and Ferrari are, you know, Ferrari are Ferrari. At some point, you know, they're always going to be leading. It's just about whether they can keep that lead. Um, so who won it last year? Did you know? I can't remember. Toyota. Yeah, so Toyota, Toyota are... Because remember when Audi were winning it all? Yes. And, um, and it was all... It was kind of almost under the radar, and then Toyota won it quite a few times, and everyone was like, "Oh, the, that domination's gone." But now it feels like it's a lot more open. Yeah, I think. Look, well, it's a new car this year, yeah. And it's not. Whilst there's a lot of um, aspects of the cars that are common, yeah, I think I need to be. I need to double check. I don't know if it's a common chassis or it's a common chassis design requirement. I can't remember which one it is. Right. I I know Multimatic make the chassis for the nine six three for Porsche. Right, but I'm not sure they make everyone's chassis. But quite clearly, the engines aren't all common because, like in LMP2, that's basically all the same car in LMP2, right? Yeah, everyone's got the same motor vehicle. But in um in in LM in the hypercar category, 
the like you should hear the Cadillacs. Like they're unbelievable. They sound like a pushrod V8 that's about nine liters, is what they sound like. <laughs> it's, but you hear the car, and the other car that's amazing is the Garage 56, you know, the um the uh novelty car or what do they call it? The it's the NASCAR anyway, they brought over that they made Siddle for Le Mans. And the thing is incredibly fast, incredibly fast, like it's faster than any of the GT cars. And uh, it is, it sounds incredible, like a NASCAR does, you know, but it, it, and it still sounds like a fully bombed NASCAR. Because the, um, the first of the non hypercars yep. um, in the in qualifying came, uh, started at 16. Yes. 16. Yes. And and I was looking through and I was thinking, okay, you know, there's a there's a few independents in there. Okay, there's Porsche, there's um, you got the uh, Cadillacs. But then, you know, when you start looking at names that you know from being a Formula One fan. Sure. And you go, why are there so many drivers who failed in Formula One who are in? Well, it's, you know, there's, I, 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 I actually, well, firstly, there are more seats because there's three drivers for every car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the budget to go racing, I think, is lower. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, look, seeing the setups here, I'm not convinced it's that much lower. Like, it's, it is off the Richter scale what's going on. Like, you should see the, Garage setups and the like. I've been a Formula One. This is the garage setups are of comparable caliber, right? But the um, the hospitality aspect, like this, Le Mans originally started as gentleman racing, right? Endurance gentleman racing. Yeah. And yeah. most of the LMP2 teams, with the exception of probably Alpine, uh, have at least one gentleman race driver. So that's who's paying for the team obviously to go and do it you know yeah and same with the gt classes all the gt cars are all you know car enthusiasts that want to go car racing wow. so you know and like i with the nine with the gd3 rsrs that's what the porsche gt car is that everyone's racing i could not imagine racing just this one race with the setup they've got they're spending less yes. than they're spending they could not be spending less than 20 million dollars as well not possible. Wow. I mean, maybe they've just got so much money, they just go, oh, let's just do it on one off. I, I look, I've no doubt, you know, we, we know there are people out there that money is just doesn't matter. They can't spend everything they've got. It's not possible anymore. Yeah. You know, that, so it's it's not even relevant. Not I hate those people. I hate those people. They're the worst. Yeah, you know, they, I don't even think they'd, be, they'd consider your opinion of them. I know, but I'm just telling everybody. I'm, I'm telling all the five people that I know are listening now. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the, um... Just on that bit about the Formula One drivers. Um, now, everyone who's a Formula One fan will recognize some of the names, you know, Daniel Kvyat, uh, Paul de Resta, um, Sebastian Borde, Sebastian Buemi. Um, and who's driving the Porsche? Felipe? I'll tell you. Um, I made a note of it earlier. Hang on, give me a Pay, um, you say Will Stevens? Nasa? Will Stevens is a is he's he was a Formula One driver, wasn't he? Uh, no, no, he wasn't. Will Stevens, really? No, he was. No, he wasn't. Felipe Nasser, he was. 
So he's driving the he was driving the highest qualifying Porsche. Yeah, number seventy five. Yeah. yeah. And um But you got Robert Kubica. He's there, not driving a Porsche, but he's there. You know, Formula oh, One, very famous Formula One driver. There's um I think the mindset to race endurance racing is very different to a Formula One car mindset where you know it's 24 hours you know like they, they, everyone each driver's driving a stint usually for three to four hours so when you're behind the wheel that long in the dark in the wet yeah yeah at 200 miles an hour that's a uh you know, this you know i don't think there'd be many teams today that would allow their f1 drivers out to do it not current it's it's normally and and I always find it's normally failed, not failed, failed Formula One drivers. Is that would I be being unfair? Uh, apart from well, Fernando Alonso, who won it a few years ago. Like how many how many Formula One seats are there that are paid drivers who didn't bring sponsors and everything with them? There's probably about eight, ten. The rest maybe are ten, all maybe ten, maybe. Yeah. You know, like but yeah, you know, so the rest. The other half of them aren't actually available seats, really. Yeah, true. So, there's, so there's ten Formula One seats. Yeah, and there's so many drivers trying to make it in. Well, these the ones who've made it, the ones who've made it into Formula One, didn't quite do it, and then ended up at Le Mans. And a well, lot of those, where do they go if they don't make it in Formula One? Do they go and yeah, you know, flip yeah, exactly. A lot of them will probably do quite well at Le Mans. You know, when you think about the ones who go to IndyCar, it's just a different type. Maybe it's a different type of talent. I don't know. Driving style, someone who can't... Preserving just... tyres. Yeah, and I think the... I guess the thing that uh, did it for maybe, you know, the IndyCar is when Nigel Mansell went over in 93 and he went he went as the reigning formula one world champion yeah and yeah. i think he's the only driver ever to be the formula one and indycar champion at the same time is it oh, okay but you're probably right yeah because he went and won it the next year didn't alonso came over and drove here a couple of years ago didn't he and won it yeah but no he didn't win he drove in uh oh what in le mans yes yeah, Lemoyne did. He wanted the he wanted he was trying to do the triple crown. Yes, you're right. Of Indy five hundred, Monaco yep. and Le Mans. But yeah. But he said IndyCar's too hard because you, you can't just turn up for the IndyCar. You can't just end up sorry, you can't just turn up for Indy five hundred and win it. Ah, uh, you've got to qualify. You get used to car every couple of races, that type of thing, do you? Yeah, exactly. And he and he was doing so well that first year. I mean, he I think he got up to it was something like third. He was, you know, comfortably in something like seventh and the car died. Um, but he was doing really well. But it was, if you watch the, the the 93 season when Mansell went over there and he was leading, I think, maybe three laps from the end of Indy 5. He won the championship yep. over the year, but mm -hmm. he was leading Indy 500, I think something like three laps from the end. And a safety car came out and he got <laughs> caught out by the restart. And it was just, and when you just think after all that time, 
I mean, the the guy was a revelation over there. I mean, he's he's a bit mental. If you there's a he's done an interview with uh, Jody Kidd. Okay. And in that, some of the stuff that he says about the injuries that he suffered and how he got there and how he just carried on, it's a really really interesting interview. You, you um, talk about him a bit in the podcast, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you got a bit. Of, there's a bit of a bromance going on there, right? Uh, the, um, a little bit. Yeah. I never rated him. What? I'm just telling you. I don't want to say that. He's like, I'm from Birmingham. He's a fellow Brummie. Yeah, okay. You know what? Just because someone comes from somewhere, there are plenty of Austrians that don't rate Hitler. <laughs> now, I think if you think about. Not to, um, give, not, to, not to give a reference there of those two, you know. Yeah, well, I just think if you give, if you just think about what he achieved and where he came from, I mean, the thing is, he wasn't, you know, he was no. Schumacher, he was no Prost, he was no Senna, he was no uh he was no Hamilton. Um, but he was um, but he had this thing about where he knew how to just wring the neck of the car, and it was back when you didn't have to look after the tires, you just went for another pit stop and you then you went help leather again. And you know, if you think about and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't much for getting involved with the engineering, testing or anything like that. They just gave him the car and they knew he would drive it to the, its maximum. Yeah, yeah. And, but the thing is, he didn't know how to drive it less than its maximum. So they would say, you know, he'd be leading by a lap and they'd go, you know what, he's off, the engine's going to die and he'd, he'd just keep going. He'd keep going at the same pace. And, right. um, and from that point, and he was a proper bit of a, you know, bit of a bulldog, you know, just, just fight it out. And doing things like you know when his car died and he got out and pushed it over the finish line or when uh <laughs> it, when it flipped over in indycar yep. and yep. uh oil came out of the engine and went down in the back of his suit like, <laughs> oily yep. hot engine oil. Yeah, yeah. and you know he went he properly went through the wars so if you listen to that jody kid interview and, and i think there's a place for him amongst all of the amazing drivers that ever were yeah. Um, and and I, I just think it's um, I'd go and watch the journey. his achievement of being that doing that being Formula One champion which he only did once because he was only ever in that car yeah. a winning car that once and then going over to IndyCar and just landing there and winning the championship and nearly winning Indy 500 I think that's something it is hey on the um, the I thought I'd just give you a this is going to be great podcast. I'm just going to show you the place. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a commentary. Okay, listen, the room is massive. This is one of two That's rooms. Huge. Size. So are those all journalists? Yes, yes. And um, the so the room's probably about 80 metres long. There's two rooms the same length. Um, we've got lots of all the race data and video feeds and everything here that we all, there's multiple banks of, you can see, Here's my little station here. And there's a just a monitor you know, above it so I can see what's going on and watch the race. Um, there's a bar at the end of the complex with complimentary drinks, which, you know, the, uh, could get dangerous. And <laughs> I reckon there's probably about six or 700 journos here. Wow. There's a lot of photographers. I've seen a lot of people doing uh, retouching of images here. A lot of big lenses, and um, there's some other great services here. There's also 
um, Sony uh, camera technicians are here to do free camera maintenance and they've got all lenses and cameras I'll loan you if you want to use, try something new and different. Wow. But, yeah, which is quite good because I got my, I got mine all cleaned up. What's really what's really entertaining is some um, some guys take this uh, any tree touching quite seriously and they don't want other people to see what they're doing. So they've got these funny little shields they put over their computers. And Ooh, um, that's yeah, so, so they maintain some uh, secrecy about what they what photos they're going to publish in that. So, Serious so, kit. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's like mountains of stuff, but um, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, the whole room is amazing. It's the garages and stuff that mentioned earlier are off the Richter scale. But with the size of the um, setups they've got, I mentioned earlier that I think the hardest working people at the race are the people doing the repairs on the um, composite yeah. side. The next hardest, uh, I thought the mechanics. Oh, sorry, the there's only two, oh, sorry, four um, people that change tyres on cars. That's all they're allowed. And then all they change tyres whilst refuelling. So there's some odd rules for endurance racing that's different to most other motorsport. Anyway, that, so they only, they only, they have the two guys for each end of the car. So the same two have to do both sides of the car, run around the other side, do one side, run around, do the other side. And um, when they're not doing that, while the, car, while the cars are out, what they actually have to do is they've got this like heat heating gun and scrape the old tyres so they can recycle them as much as they can because they're only allowed X number of tyres for the race. And uh, yeah, just down the down the back here, I saw one of the teams uh, doing that, and I said it looked like hard work. <laughs> is that they're, they're putting the tread back into the tire? So no, just... what it is, all the all lumpy, because it's all lumpy and stuff, the tread, and some, you know, yeah. some tires might have flat spots and stuff. They smooth it all out, so it actually looks like a normal slick again by the time they've done it, you know? And um, I, I, I think that's when they change tires before they wear out, you know, like if they change compounds or something like that. Yeah. They've gone from a medium to a hard or hard to a soft or whatever it is. They're or doing. a soft raining or something like that. <laughs> I think there's definitely seems to be a policy reluctance to fit wets. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> the only way to describe what happens here, you know. So uh, that that's quite amazing. The they also have massive, massive tire heating chambers. You know, portable tire heaters that each team puts all their uh, keeps all their tires in because you can really feel it. So before they put them, them before they before they put them on the car. Yeah, they've got these. Yeah, you know, you know, you've seen tire warmers on cars for sure in the yeah. past, right? But yeah. these are like uh, the the tires wheels are all stacked up and actually stored in a great big heated room type thing, you know, that's the right size for a stack of four tires. Wow. That's the um, same. When the wheels come off, they all get cleaned. Like this two people that work a flat stick just scrubbing wheels, you know, for the teams. Wow. Or for you know, for two people in each team for doing that. What else is there? It was uh, really interesting to see for the um, in the garages there. Only some garages do hospitality um, walks for their uh, you know high end clientele, so to speak. Like Alpine, they're taking plenty of people through with headsets to walk through the garage and say, "This is what happens here. This is what happens here. So what happens here?" Porsche only done, I think, two tours of five people each, whereas Alpine's doing them every hour for about twenty people each at a time. Wow. Do you reckon that cost a lot of money? 
you're doing a what costs a lot of money. Yeah, get a tour. If you, if you could say, oh, I want a tour. Oh, of, no, uh, no. To get, to, this part, to get into this part of the track, you've already spent a fortune. Ah, so right, okay. If you're not a journo, like to get into the uh, working paddock, the type of ticket you've bought is considerable, I would imagine. Oh. Like, you know, in the thousands I mean, of euros type thing, you know? Bloody hell. That is amazing. I mean, just the... Because um, the setup, like you say, the setup, when the, it's... It's so huge, much like Formula One. And you're right, Formula One is a big business. It's big money. It's got big profile. Whereas endurance racing doesn't have the same profile, but it's in media. But it seems to have the the equal level of fan base. But it's more about getting to races rather than watching it on television. Or I think anything you're like right. That. I think yeah. I think it's a bit more grassroots. You know what? The type of supporter for it reminds me of what WRC was in the '90s and 2000s. Yep. If, if that makes sense, yeah. You know, so... Oh, it does. Yeah, and, you know, the, a lot of the spectators back teams, not drivers. Whereas in, I feel yeah. in Formula 1, people support drivers, not teams. Yeah, and, and if you, you're, you're right, WRC, I mean, back in the day, come rain or shine, thousands of people lining country lanes and things like that and, you know, forest stages and whatever, risking life and limb back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when the car's going so close next to you and, and on the edge of control. And uh, and whereas that feels like Le Mans probably, or endurance racing, is probably one of the few things that still commands that. Because Formula One doesn't, absolutely not. No, it's uh, well, Formula One's all about paddy club. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'll tell you something that's quite disappointing about the whole, everywhere I've been so far around the circuit, it's just, just not enough places to eat food, like to buy food. It's everywhere. The lines, you know, back up for 30, 40, 50 people deep. And when you do get to the front of the line, two-thirds of the menu is not there anymore. You know what I mean? It's all sold out. It's just, and it's only, what time are we? Nearly midnight. So yep. a long way to go. Yeah. Because I, I would get, um, I, if I couldn't get a decent coffee, that would piss me off. A coffee? There is plenty of coffee. <laughs> good coffee uh, I'm talking about food. But is it good coffee? Can you get a good, like, really good flat white in the morning? I, for me, I'm a, my, I see coffee. I don't, I'm not too precious about coffee. Because I, deep down, I, I, I see it as a tool, mm. right, to deliver an outcome. And it's usually the milk that, most cafes bugger up the coffee itself usually yeah. is pretty oh, good yeah. you know what i mean so if you have like and so I, I don't have much milk in my coffee that way i can maintain a uh, a level of uh, less chance of disappointment oh see i have two flat whites every morning and i and it's for me it's all about the i don't, I don't, like, I don't like having that much milk in the morning oh no i have to i hate i love i love flat white but it's just but the thing is when i don't get a good one it makes me angry I I make coffee at home in the, in the morning because I start quite early, as you know. And I have an espresso with a dash of cold milk in it. So I literally just I mean, splash. No, with hot milk, macchiato. No, no, cold. And that yeah, way it brings it brings the milk it brings the coffee temperature down just enough so I can chug chug chug. Thank you. Job done. Oh, see, no, I'd have a macchiato. I could have a macchiato after my evening meal. But during in the morning, I'd want 
like a flat white and I want it to be made right. And the amount of times I go to my local coffee shop and I have to take it back. When the guy slides it over to me on the counter and I have to look at him and go, dude, and he just knows what I mean. And he takes it away and goes, I'm sorry, I'll make that again. Can you imagine how many, can you imagine how much saliva you've drunk? How People spitting your no, coffee no, from, from uh, no. being one of those customers? I watch. I Work watch. hospitality. No. <laughs> what? To my <laughs> people have drunk your saliva. I oh, don't know. That's gross. <laughs> you know, I went to I went to a big event at, um, last week, and it was a, a work kind of. Oh I, yeah, okay. It was a cloud computing event, right? And it was at an arena in London, and sure. um, kind of. So you know, not nearly as many people. It's twenty five thousand people, but in a much smaller space. Yeah, sure. Packed. And uh, so everywhere you went, massive queue for a coffee, for this, that. Sure. They, had a, they had a Ferrari racing sim, really good one. You know where the screen's so close to you that the front wheels of the car are in the screen? Yes. And it looked fantastic. The queue was too long, and I thought, I'm not waiting for that. And uh, just getting a coffee, too long. I'm going to come back to Remind me, we'll come back to this topic. Keep going. Oh, yeah. But even, you know, when um, going to the toilet. So I was... So I'm going to tell you this. So go to the toilet, and I, and I was like, for a number one. That's uh, right. That's right. I, yeah, okay, listeners, we're bringing this to a new level. Yeah, I don't we're we're to go to the toilet. You're, you're sat at, you've, you've just flown, like, almost two days to get to Le Mans. We're talking about me going to the toilet yeah, last so, week. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so I go, I go into the toilet. Have you ever used a, a blade Dyson hand dryer? You know, where you put your hands inside it. Yes, right. yes. I, before you say, I haven't put my penis in it. But, you know, I went up to the, the urinal. There, there was like a squeeze. There were three urinals up against the wall. There's two guys already at them. And I go to the one at the end. And the Dyson is really close to where I am. So so the, the guy, the guys, there's a guy washing his hands. And he puts his hands into the Dyson thing. And it blows the air straight out, but it blows my piss stream onto the guy next to me. <laughs> and it's not even in a way that it just blows out to him. It actually curves round and hits him in the leg. And then, and obviously I've I've been queuing for ages, so I'm desperate for the toilet. So it's a massive piss I'm having, right? <laughs> so, so then... So then another guy comes in and starts washing his hands, and it, the same thing happens again. And I'm just staring at the wall, thinking, "Oh my god, oh my god, this is horrific." And the guy next to me must have almost also been just queuing because he's also having this massive piss. <laughs> and I come outside and I have to just you know brace myself against the wall and go, "Oh my god, that was horrific." But it's when you go to these events, there's never enough toilets, there's never enough food, there's never enough coffee places. I don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to go on this. I did see a very funny meme on um, social media once. It showed one of those Dyson Airblade hand dryers. It said, don't learn the hard way like me that this isn't the world's messiest urinal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No. Oh, that would be horrible. Anyway, you were saying to me, remind you about the oh, sim. Yeah, yeah. Like the week last weekend, the weekend before I came here, I was up in uh, Geraldton, up at the in-laws' place, and they've got a they've got a sim centre in Geraldton. Surprisingly, so I thought I'll go and have a go in that. So I spent it. I spent an hour driving. Um, firstly, a Carrera Cup car around um, Spa, 
it was one of the, it was a full on sim, you know, the whole thing moves and rotates and all that sort of thing, right? And I, I could not drive that thing. I was useless in that car. I said, "You give me something. I need something with an engine in the front because this thing, I, I can't catch it any time ever, right?" So I get then I got an AMG GT3. Yeah, I was fine. Eighteen seconds per lap faster than the than the than the, wow. the GT than the than the uh, Carrera Cup car, and um and less power. So the um yes, yeah, so I had an hour in that thing, and at the end of it, I actually felt quite nauseous. Yeah, because um, in Formula One, um, I think it was well known that Michael Schumacher never used to use them because he used to get motion sickness. Look, I'm I'm I am prone to motion sickness, and me too. I do get seasick, right, for the first you know day or two at sea. So you know, hundred percent. And even when I go to the track in my car, my first session. I eat something straight after it because I do get it. I do get a bit sore in the tummy, even if I'm driving. Hang on, seasick. Weren't you in the navy? Yeah, loads. I'll tell you something about seasickness. If people say they don't get seasick as well, they just haven't been in big enough ocean. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not joking. Like I've I've been I've seen thirty year, you know, captains and admirals throwing up. When the ocean's big enough, so it's oh. just everyone. Everyone's got a threshold. If there's once you cross it, mine's very low. That's all. Yeah, mine and, too. But it only lasts a day. When you go to sleep, like the first day, you know, if the you know, one, but after that, you get used to it quite quickly. Yeah, you get used to it. Oh, I, I've never thought of that because I've not really been at sea, so I've been on yeah, ferries sure. and stuff like that, which I'm fine for because it's not, you know, it's not the big sea. And it, and you're yep. normally looking out the window, you yep. know. If you're in, if you're in, like you know, in the service, and you're on, you're on a boat, you're probably in a room, dark room somewhere down below deck, with Usually. no windows. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to make you sick. Yep. Uh, it's like me if I'm in the car and I'm in the back. In the back, I, I'm always get motion sickness. So uh, I, yeah, I, I I don't ever want to go through that. Yeah, yeah, good one. So what do we think about the Mission X? Um. They should just make it. Oh, they're going to make it. Look, I, I'll tell you what I'm disappointed about. It's sure. just going to be a rebodied, rematch Navera. Yeah, so my problem with it is, should it be look, some kind of... Hang on, wait, wait. Sorry to interrupt you there. It yeah. is stunning to look at. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And, it, and I feel like it's not huge. But um, but I'm not basing that on anything. But I think if if they could make it some kind of hybrid with e fuels and just take it to the next level, rather than you know it just being electric, because um, then electric is electric is electric, and you know you 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 just build more torque in you do bigger bigger better motor, you know it's, it's the same old thing. But yeah, because if you do the, the but if, but if you make it kind of future proof, where I don't know, I mean. I don't. How long can we keep mining lithium if we could have some kind of hybrid element to it that requires e-fuels that they're now working on in Mexico or wherever it might be? Then uh, that would be amazing. I think they should definitely make it. You know, when was the nine one eight last May? The ninety team was how long ago? They need ago. another hypercar. Yeah, they need another one. Yeah, look, I think probably I think a hybrid is the answer, right? But I think they should like go down the path of. 
utilizing. I think one of the Ferraris has just crashed. In the no. I can see a big beam, light light bar across the back of it. Which car is it? It is one of the Ferraris. Bergeau's in the lead now. Oh, the spoiler last one might uh, win. I, the, um, oh, look, as soon as earlier, when Bergeau took the lead with an overtake out of the Ferrari, yep. the grandstands, you should have heard of the Frenchies. <laughs> Go crazy. Oh, oh, they went nuts. George lifted off the ground. Oh, my God. That must have been something to behold. Yeah, yeah it's been there for that. Yeah. yeah. I just just the start, the opening, it, the whole start of the event has rolled. There's like there's got to be ten thousand people on a grid walk. It's like you know, you, you know when you see it for form, you know when you see it Formula One. Now it looks yeah. like a lot. This is a whole different stratosphere. Look at the whole city. This is the only way to describe how many people on the grid. It's got to be different as well because if it feel, I don't know. I mean, I'm just on a feeling. I'm saying, but it feels more accessible. Formula One isn't accessible. I uh, no, look, it's not as accessible as you think. Oh, like I can't. Oh, look, I've I've spoken about four people I wanted sound bites from for the podcast, right? Yep. None of them want to be recorded, but I had the opportunity to talk to them. Ah, okay. Right. I spoke to Oliver Bloom. No. Yeah, CEO Porsche. Yeah, he's um he's promoting something, isn't he? Because he was at the Spanish Grand Prix, wasn't he? Or Monaco. I don't know, look, everyone that was to really, any everyone that had anything to do with Porsche and now oh, they did that thing in Stuttgart on the eighth, now they're all here. Ah, uh, okay. But there's, some, but there's something on today, yesterday and today, at the um, Hockenheim ring celebrating Porsche's 70th anniversary. So I think he's going back for that. Ah, uh, right, okay. Yeah. Mm. Someone else is just. Oh, Going on here, this is not good. And what's the rain situation now? Oh, it's pissing down down the other end, but it's, we're pretty dry this end. Yeah. That that's that's got to be the worst, doesn't it? It's fine when it's <laughs> drizzle one end, really heavy the other end, but bone dry one end and pissing down yeah. the other end. So you you're always on the wrong tire, and, and it's always wet at the bits where people are going too fast. <laughs> at least up this end, it's a lot. There's a lot more bends than curves, you know. I saw some of the clips where the cars were just, they just weren't turning. They just yeah. really slowly well, going straight. Or they like the this. Yeah, or they're, or they're going backwards through a corner. Yeah. Did you see, I don't, did you see the highlight of the Cadillac that didn't hit the Armco? Like missed it by like a bee stick. It was that close that when he slid sideways around the corner. I didn't see that one. I only saw the one that smashed it. Oh, okay. Well, something's happened with Toyota. How long do you reckon the highlights reel is going to be? It's going to be long, isn't it? Like three hours. Four it has hours. to be with the amount of stuff that's happened already. Yeah. Oh, what's happened here? Oh, no. This guy's going to go to flames. JMW Motorsport car. No, I, you know what? You should go and start watching more of the race. Get as many sound bites as you can. Yeah. Tackle people to the ground. Go to the camping site. You know, people like Rasarossa, people like that are there. I'll be able to try and find it. There's a car on fire in the middle of the track. Oh my god! <laughs> it should be a big go, go watch that. All right, go then, watch mate. that. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll give everyone an update when I return. I thought it'd be a good chance to um, share what the experience is like so far, and um, let's see what we can come up with.
when I get back. And keep Thanks. the Instagram um, content coming. I will. Thanks, mate. Take care. Take it easy, dude. Bye.